Amen. Amen. Guys, grab hold of a Bible if you would. Make your way tonight. Would you make your way to the Old Testament book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. It's where we want to invite you to come tonight. As you're heading that way, maybe you already know. You're thinking, well, Jim, I thought we were doing the book of Luke on Wednesday nights. We are. We're working through the book of Luke on Wednesday night. Um, but as I was working on that message this morning, just really felt the Lord solidly lead me in a different direction. Uh, just like, okay, you know, in the midst of where we are right now, in the midst of our election, midst of the just continuing things in the midst of it, I just was very strongly led here, and it kind of makes sense. I, I think in one sense, just maybe for some of you, it's just right where you are. To try to take you in a different direction might be problematic. For some of you, you might be like, oh, I didn't even want to think about that, but I just think God has something tonight. I really felt like He led us here, so definitely want to be there, so hopefully you're making your way. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, use your concordance if you need to at the beginning of the Bible. You guys online, join us as well. Make your way so that through the Word of God, He would speak to us tonight. So with an expectation of His faithfulness and Him leading us here, let's take a moment just to ask for that. Would you join me in prayer and let's ask that God would give us the ability to hear what He would say to us tonight. Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You for all of it. I thank you that you've given us in just the entirety of your word everything we need. You said everything necessary for life and godliness. I believe you. That there's not any situation, not any place we find that what we need isn't found here. God, in the midst of that, I think about where we are. Uh, Just walking through this as a nation, we think about the elections, we think about all that's happening, and I just know your word is sufficient, and I pray that even now that maybe through this text you would speak some guidance into our lives, some help into our lives. God, you can do that in ways I could never get to, Uh, but Lord, I just believe. I believe that you've led us here, so with joy, just ask that you would work in our lives. We pray for it right now, and we pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 6 begins ominously. You might just notice it with me in verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Just pause there, and I want you to think about it with me for a moment. Lots was happening politically. This is the nation of of Israel, Judah, that's taking place. And it's a time, if you want to think about it in some ways, of political turmoil, chaos. Everything seems to be changing. And I found myself just thinking about how much that feels like right now. Now, that said, let's just be clear. I'm not saying anything like I know which way this election is going to go. I know that it's not yet fully landed, and yet there's concerns in the midst of it. But either way, it's a time of political chaos. It's a time where, in some ways, watching even what's happening in our world finds us in a place of angst and and maybe some worry and even trying to figure it out, certainly that was what was happening in the days that Isaiah writes this. Uzziah had been a good king for the most part. He wasn't a great king, but he was a pretty good king until his pride got in the way. He'd made, done, done some good things, but it had been problematic for a certain amount of time. And so as this is passing, the questions all are rising as to where they are going. Now, again, for me, that just lands. It kind of lands in the midst of of things that we're thinking about, but it lands a little bit more. See, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know how maybe even this political kind of climate that we've walked through that for some of us we're kind of glad maybe even to be on this side of it in some ways. I don't know how it's found you, but it's been one of those troubling things that I've been maybe just grieved over what I've seen in people 
in, in hearts of people than I have even where we are. I mean, in some ways, it's almost been this, like, I don't know if I like where we are. Now, that's what I'm thinking through because that's where Isaiah is. If you're familiar with this book, it's amazing, especially these two chapters, very popular and in some ways so much well-known. This is a time where Isaiah is really being called and being moved forward into the things that God has for him. But it's built not only on top of this kind of political turmoil, but really a moral turmoil. I just want to draw you back for a moment to the chapter before this. We don't have time to walk through it, though it's a fascinating chapter. It's a song. In chapter 5, God begins and He sings it as a song over His people. He says, now let me sing, a, a, sing to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved, singing both over Israel but over where God is. And in the midst of this song, He just grieves over kind of the moral state of, of where the people have come to. He just kind of grieves over things that he just notes ha- that kind of grieve the heart of God as he looks on his people, and I find it to be an interesting thing. He gives us six things, and if you had no idea what they are, I wonder what you would think. I wonder what you would think. If you think, okay, so I wonder what breaks God's heart when he looks at his people. I wonder what bothers him when he looks at where people are, and, and certainly there's much given us in the Scripture. This is certainly not an entire list, but this list is interesting. And it begins with every one of the statements that are descriptive, they begin with the woe. They begin with the description of, of kind of woe is the nation for that. And it begins there in verse 8, in the first of the six, where he says, Woe to those who join house to house and add field to field, where there's no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. And that, in the verse is describing, he begins to describe a rampant materialism. Just a place where people are, you know, the wealthy are getting wealthier and the, and the poor are getting poorer and kind of in many ways just a destruction that's taking place across all, all that. You know, just houses are becoming desolate. There's kind of just some things that are happening that just grieve the heart of God as he watches over that. Then he says in verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink. And he begins to describe just the, the sorrow of watching these who are living for pleasure who are living for the weekend, that are living for just getting drunk and living for partying and pleasure and, and, and all the things that kind of em, em, just kind of embrace their lives. And he talks about just how, how sad that is, that they have no knowledge, that they're living in this ignorant way of, of not walking in the things that God had for them. Then he goes down in verse 18, he says, "'Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, as sin, as if with a cart rope.'" And it has this idea that Boy, they're not just sinning, they're sinning like, you know, they need a wheelbarrow to carry it. It's like they're just flagrantly, openly, abundantly sinning. Then in verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. He grieves over this kind of moral just exchange where all of a sudden what's right is no longer, it's called wrong, and now what was wrong in God's eyes is embraced as right. I mean, I don't think I have to spend much time on that to tell you that's our world, and it's increasingly becoming our world. Things that, you know, years ago, decades ago, even a decade ago, where everybody would agree, hey, that's wrong, that's just, that's not, that's not good, now are being embraced wholeheartedly by our culture, and it's wrong to, to, to disagree. I mean, just values are shifting in ways that God grieves over where they are. Add to that he grieves over arrogance. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 
and this arrogant independence, like we know better, we don't, need, we don't need anybody telling us what to do, we don't need God certainly telling us what to do, and there's this arrogance that's just seeming to be rising in the midst of his people. Verse 22, he says, woe to men mighty at drinking wine, and men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. And without spending a whole lot of time on this, the idea of being valiant, it has the idea that they're heroes Instead of being heroes who are doing good things, they're heroes who are doing bad things. I mean, that their heroes are heroes of sin, that their might isn't in good, it's, it's because they're doing bad things, and that's now become what's made them popular. It's a pretty incredible list, and God goes on, He says, therefore, in the rest of the verse, He says, there's going to be darkness, there's going to be sorrow, and He just grieves over all that's taking place in the midst of it. Now, I know that was a quick rundown, and there's much more in the midst of it, but I just want you to feel that for a moment. Maybe in some ways sin always reproduces this kinds of thing, but when I read through this list, sometimes I feel like, wow, I mean, I don't know whether, you know, it feels like our world. I mean, if this broke God's heart there, it surely breaks His heart now. That He would look at it and say, I, I just, you guys have everything wrong. I mean, you're, you're twisting everything, everything's going in the wrong ways, and he, and he sees the destruction that it's bringing into the people, and He grieves. So that backdrop moves us to where we are, that in one sense, Isaiah 5 describes this kind of just turmoil in the midst of the land, this place where things are upside down in so many ways morally, and then in the midst of that, there's this political chaos where Uzziah dies and Isaiah's you know, kind of facing this, and out of this, there are a number of things that happen in this chapter that, again, I find at least helpful for me and I hope helpful to you. Let me just quickly walk you through them. First of all, notice what happens there in, chapter, in verse 1. Again, we already started reading it, but see it again. Isaiah 6, this time again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. The very first thing that happens is just this comforting picture, this understanding that in the midst of this turmoil, God's on His throne. I mean, that hasn't changed. That, that, that didn't change from a moment before this. It didn't change to a moment after it. Isaiah looks there, and, and, and he's given this vision that there he sees God, and there's this glorious picture of, of Him just reigning, and, and his, trobe just, his robe just filling the temple in glory, and it's this amazing picture. Now, our God is a God who doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forevermore. So, what Isaiah sees here is certainly what's true here in 2020. Now, maybe you know that. Maybe I'm just kind of telling you something that you already know, but I just need to tell you right now that absolutely nothing that's happening today, nothing that's happening in 2020 is in any way altering this. God is on His throne. I mean, God is, is sovereign. He's mighty. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And there's a place of just being drawn to see that. I think about it in Psalm 46, which is another psalm that deals with dealing with turmoil and confusion. And in the midst of that psalm, we have that familiar verse where he just says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. He says, just when you stop and just recognize, I'm still God. And there's no, there's no question where this whole thing is going. There's no question like God has been defeated. He can't be defeated. He's going to be exalted. There's a, a sense of just knowing that he is God. We're going to talk about this as we continue our study in Daniel, but 
just giving you a preview. In chapter 4, we get this place where Nebuchadnezzar is drawn to this understanding of who God is. And, and, and God comes and, and humbles them and says, seven times I'll pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And He gives it to whomever He chooses. He says, you just need to understand, God's the one who's doing. God is the sovereign God, and, and never does it become a place where that's not true. He is, so did I. Nebuchadnezzar would go on to say, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Just recognizing that His reign is a reign that's always there, that never moves, that never goes away. And I just want to tell you right now for Isaiah, as he begins this in this chapter, that was a good moment. That's a, that's a good space for us to be, and it always is. Hopefully you're rooted in that. Hopefully you could, could be there, but I just want to tell you there's power in just recognizing God is on His throne. He's, always, he's on His throne. He's on His throne right now, and we can trust Him. We can trust Him with where we are and even what happens. But it's more than just seeing God is on His throne, because in the midst of that, He sees a little bit more. Verse 2 it says, above it stood seraphim, which are angels, angels in God's presence. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, and the voice of him who cried out of the house was, was filled with smoke. So he's seeing God. He's seeing God on his throne. He's seeing God as, as the God who's sovereign. But at the same moment, he's recognizing this is the God who's holy. Yet this kind of description of who God is, holy, holy, holy. We sing it in song. But it's in many ways that which the very angels cry out in God's presence. You might want to sing it, see it as even just the very fundamental nature of who God is. He's holy altogether perfect. There's not anything wrong. He's an absolutely gloriously holy, perfect, pure God. That this, that this reality of who He is is this God who's there, and there's something good about that. It's worth just quickly saying, I hope that's the understanding you have of God. We live in a weird world that sometimes reinterprets God in its own image, if you were to ask most people today what was God's central characteristic, they would probably say love. And you would probably anticipate the angels around God's throne saying, love, love, love. You know, this is so, yours is so loving. He is loving. God is indeed love, but He's holy. It's, it's the root of everything that He is. And, and to know Him right now is to recognize that He is that, that He is that. Now, that's powerful, but it's incredibly convicting. Yeah, that's what happens for Isaiah. He responds to this in verse 5, and he said, So I said, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So here Isaiah is, he sees God, he sees Him on His throne, he sees Him in His glory, and it just, it just busts him. He finds himself just undone in the midst of God's presence. He recognizes that God is holy and he's not. 
His, his brokenness is seen there, and it's interesting what he says. He says, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. He just, that just kind of strikes him, just rolling that which comes out of that. I find myself thinking of what Jesus said, that out of our heart, our mouth speaks, that so often what we say so often reveals what's there. And that's just writing it there for Isaiah becomes that thing that he knows. And I find that interesting. Maybe that's one of the things that has drawn me to this passage even tonight, because that's partly one of the things that just grieves me. I mean, I've been grieved, you know, in this moment of time, just watching what comes out of people's mouths, watching what they, what they post on social media. It's like, did you really say that? Did you really just say that? I mean, what in the world? I mean, what a crazy thing. I mean, I think about it with some of our politicians. Some of you know, I mean, that's part of the really weird space we live in. It's like, did they really just, I can't, that just was sad. I mean, that was just, that just, I mean, the mouth, and somehow that's what Isaiah feels. He's aware of his own lips that they're just speaking, and he says, that's, that's the world I live in. I live in a world that we are, we are, God is a holy God, and what's reflected in our mouths, they, they, they slap against that. They, they are, in this sense, just mocked by that, and, and I find myself thinking of what that looks like, a pe- place where, you know, just people of unclean lips, where we find ourselves just broken by that. That's a good space, in many ways, it's what needs to happen in our lives, that if we're going to see God for who He is, that's always going to draw us to an end of ourselves. I found myself thinking of different places where that happens. I think about Job as he comes face to face with God, as he walks in the midst of, of, of his situation at the end of the book of Job. He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job goes through all he gets to, and at the end of his story, he's like, God, I see you better than I've seen you before, and that just undoes me. I, I, I see who I am, and it's not, it's not a nice thing. I don't like what I see. <laughs> I don't like what I found. I, 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 I see myself, and I, I just, I'm broken over my own sinfulness. I think about Peter. We covered it a few weeks back in, in Luke 5 when Jesus is dealing with him, and, and, and Peter kind of gets, in a similar way, kind of busted by Jesus. And it says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I mean, seeing Jesus for who he was, Peter just comes to a place like, Lord, you, you should leave <laughs> because I, I am broken by what I find present in me. I think about in the book of Revelation when, G, when John sees Jesus and it's just as I saw him and I just fell at his feet as dead. I mean, it just there was this moment where he just, in that sense, totally deflated, and it's right that it would be so. To come near our God is to come near a place that He's light, and it exposes who we are. I don't know if that's where you are. I mean, it's, it's a weird world that, honestly, some of the way our sin works is that we're able to see it in everybody else but ourselves. For, for some of us, we'd like, I live among a world of unclean lips, and God should punish them. You know, it's like, I just, they're just, I can't believe people, and instead of saying, I but I see me. I, I find my own lips betraying me. I find myself saying things like, I should not have said that. I, sh- I can't, it, that just came out of there. And I know what Jesus said. That was in my heart. If it came out of my lips, it just, even if I tried to hide it, now I've said it. And it's like, that was actually there. And somehow to be humbled that way is a good thing. To recognize, boy, you know, God's perfect and we are so not perfect. But it's right there that this encounter increases for Isaiah. For it says, then in verse 6, one of the seraphim, that is the angels in God's presence, flew to me, 
having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. It's this incredible moment where there's a, a cleansing, where there's this picture that out of God's presence becomes this live coal that cleanses. Without spending more time on that than we have, I just want to tell you, I think this is one of those pictures of Christ, that this is a picture of that which does that, because that's the only thing that brings forgiveness. The only thing that brings forgiveness to you and I is, is Christ, of, of Him coming and giving His life for us, that He's this live coal that comes, you know, God Himself coming and being the sacrifice that, that, that meets us there. I find myself thinking of places like Hebrews where it would say, for Christ has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That Jesus, he came, and that's why he came. He came because you and I are sinful people. But he came to, to deal with that. He came to put that away. Think about what John would tell us in 1 John, a familiar verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I suppose I just want to invite you to this this evening. I don't know if that's where you are. Again, the danger is it might not be where you are. It might really, again, be that right now you're more angry at other people for what you see in them. And I, I, I get it. I understand that's there. But if, if you would see God in His presence, you would find, but God, it's me. I'm, I'm part of the problem. I mean, I'm part of the, I'm part of the brokenness in our world. I, I, I myself am that. And if you would find that, it, it, it's a very con- just hard place to come, but it's a wonderful place to come because in confessing our sin and recognizing our brokenness, that's where we find forgiveness. So he would say, if you would come and say, that's me. Like, like I'm, behold, I'm a man of unclean lips and that's me. I'm, I'm that person. He says he would be the one that would forgive us. He would be the one that would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How needed this is. I mean, it's needed in our world, but it's needed in us, a, a place where we would come and recognize that Jesus is to us what we desperately need, that Jesus is that place where forgiveness can be found. Jesus is the one that would bring this, and again, I just I love the way he just says it here, your iniquity is taken away. It's gone. Your sin's purged. It's cast away, as, the, as it would tell us in the Psalms, far as the east is from the west. That's a good place. It's a place that I need to come right now, a place of saying, God, that's us. That's part of me living in this broken world. We need your forgiveness. For Isaiah, that propels him to the next step, but it's again worth saying, I don't think you could really get to the next step if you don't come through this step. You can't get to what's coming for Isaiah unless you're going to say, okay, I'm going to recognize God as God. That's going to be convicting, but that's where I find both hope and help that he would be the one that would bring cleansing. He would be the one that would bring help. In the midst of this, at the end of verse 8, I'm sorry, in verse 8 it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's this great place where Isaiah is actually going to be called by God to go in and make a difference in the world. And it's kind of fun just to imagine it. It's actually an inner trinity conversation. 
because God says, who's going to go for us? I mean, who's he talking to? He's talking, you know, in the, in the Trinity, he's having this conversation that Isaiah is allowed to overhear, where God's like, you know, so who would, who's going to represent us in that broken world? It's an Isaiah 5 messed up, upside down, you know, confused world. Who's going to take the message of who God is into this world? Who's going to represent God in, in a way that would bring some kind of hope and some kind of help and in familiar words? Isaiah responds at the end of verse 8, Then I said, Here am I. Send me. There's actually quite a bit of debate in Bible students into what the tone of Isaiah's voice is here, if he's confident or trepidatious or uh, you know, how he does that. We actually have no way to, to really determine that. All we know is this, is somehow in the midst of that, he, Isaiah's hearing this, who's, who's going who's gonna to represent God? And Isaiah says, well, you know, I will, you know, me. I mean, if, you, if, if you're looking for somebody to speak, if you're looking for somebody to be a part of the rescue of God into a broken world, then, then I just want to say, here am I, send me. And that's exactly what's needed. We live in such a broken world right now. And in Christ, we have the only message of hope. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He didn't say, you're a light. You're one of the things that could bring light in the midst. He says, you're it. You're the light of the world. You're, you're it. You're, you're, you're the, the, you're the, you're, you have the message of hope. And what's needed in this moment right now in 2020 is a, is a willingness to say, God, I'm interested. I would like to be a part of that. A place of saying, okay, God, you know, I, I recognize my world is really confused right now. And I recognize, oh, you know, so much is happening. But God, I, I'm willing to be a part of that. And that's so much of what, what we're talking about. If we had continued our study in Luke uh, 10 tonight, that's stuff we would have still been talking about, trying to kind of see God kind of leading us in His plan for our life. And God willing, if He gives it to us, that's where we'll be next week. But I just want to tell you, there's something about being open and being willing. I know this, that God's intention is that for every one of you. There's not anybody that we've said often that He's looking at you as just being an extra on the set that he's thinking, I just want you just to kind of exist till Jesus comes back. No, you're here for a purpose. You're here for a plan that, that we're meant to be hope in the midst of this, but so often something's happened in our life where we haven't stepped up and said, okay, God, I'm willing. <laughs> I want to be a part of this. And yet maybe that's what's so needed. You know, I don't know where things are going in our nation. I'm definitely not a, a prophet. I'm not one that can tell us, you know, what's going to happen in 2021. I mean, who could have pictured 2020? But I do know this. It could be that the situations we're going to find ourselves in are going to be greater opportunities for us to be light than others before. Sometimes darkness only lets the light shine brighter if we'll shine. You know, if we'll say, okay, God, it is a confused world, and I, I want to go, because I, I know God is still asking the same question. So who's going to represent God in this world? Who, who could we send to say, go into this world, and he's looking for us to say yes? Now, I love that so often that's connected to everything that we've said. 
Again, I just want to say it again. So often we want this, this sense of, of, of being God sending our lives, but so often it goes to this place where we have to come to just a brokenness of our own selves. That's exactly what happened in several of those passages that I read to you in a moment ago. We talked about Peter. He has that just moment where he sees his own wickedness, and he just says, you know, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I mean, you should have nothing to do with me. You should just leave me right here. And Jesus responds to him and says, do not be afraid, because from now on, you're going to catch men. From now on, I'm going to use you to be a part of rescuing people out of this broken world. Like, this place where you've been brought to an end of yourself is actually so powerful, because that becomes the space where I can use you. I think about it in Revelation, when John is there, and and he has this encounter with the, the risen Christ, and he says, I just, I fell at his feet as dead. And yet it's right there that Jesus lays his hand on him and said to him, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. John, I have things for you. I have things that you'll be able to speak into this generation. And he writes the book of Revelation. I mean, it's incredible places where there is a sense that that's how they move into this next space. Maybe, again, you're already there. Maybe I'm telling you things that are only speaking what you're already doing, and so as you're thinking about where we are right here in 2020, you're thinking about, I, I want to represent God to this world. I, wanna, I want people to see Jesus in me. I, I want to be a part of you know, being light wherever I am, and if that could just encourage you, then that would be great. But again, I'm just telling you, for some, the political chaos, the moral turmoil has kind of made you want to just say, in some ways, I just want to take my toys and go home. I don't want to play. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm just, t- I'm tired of the world. I'm tired of the, of the weirdness. I'm tired of the, of the brokenness. I just want to, you know, go get a cabin in the mountains and have Amazon ship all my stuff to me if they can, you know, get the drone thing going so I don't have to talk to people. And, you know, I just want to not have anything in this. And there's a disconnect that sometimes we think, hey, that's what I want. But that's not why you're here. There's a sense that we're here and God is sovereignly working, but one of the things he's seeking to do is to have us be his representatives into this world. And I don't know where things are going, but I know that's what he's wanting for us, so we should be able to say, God, I want to go. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I love that. I love that and long that it would be even you tonight, that whatever, however you're responding to the elections this year, you'd be able to say, God, here I am. Here I am. You want to use me? Want want to show me how I can be a light in this generation? I'd like to do that. It's a pretty incredible moment, and you might actually think, okay, God is going to be like really, really encouraging to Isaiah right now, and just like, good job. And and he does something that's really interesting. He provides a, a moment of clarity that I might even say, you know, just be a little apprehensive of what's coming. And he gives this incredible kind of understanding. He says in verse 9, then God says, Go. I want you to go. You're going to go and be my representative in this world. And I want you to tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. It's a pretty incredible statement and troubling in some ways to even understand. One thing we know is it's one that would flow through the rest of the Bible. You'll see this phrase repeated over and over. In fact, Jesus would, would quote these same things, speaking of his 
message into the lives of the people, specifically when he's talking about parables. And he quotes from this saying, hey, this is a little bit what he's doing. And it raises some interesting questions as to what this is saying. I just want to give it to you in a very simple way, though there's a lot of profound and kind of prophetic and amazing things. What God simply tells Isaiah is, it's not going to go incredibly well for you. I mean, it's going to, you're, you're going to tell people about me, but you're, this isn't, you're going to, people are going to go harder and harder and harder. You're going to be telling them of me, but it's not like the whole world's going to get saved. You're going to be going into this. You're going to, you're going to speak these things at the same moment that the world itself is moving in the wrong direction, is moving in a place that it is that way. Now, in one really simple way, that is just always true. I think about what God would tell us in Timothy, where he simply says it in 2 Timothy 3, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. God just says, here's what you need to understand. It's going to get harder and harder. And that's always what the Bible tells us. I mean, God is really honest with us. He tells us, you know, when I know what you are, our world is moving. Not a, we're not moving into a world that's getting better and better and better, that we're going to somehow, you know, move into this kind of utopian, you know, world where everything's getting better. It's like, no, actually the world is on its way down. It's on its way down. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Men are, are you know, that's, that's the darkness and the brokenness of our world. That's really clear to us that that's the path that our world is on. That's always the, the way it is. And so some ways to, to look at that and recognize, okay, that's the world in which we live. There is no sense that if we really shine for God that somehow we're going to fix the whole world. That's not going to be it at all. I love Isaiah's response to this, by the way. I don't know what yours is, but I got Isaiah's response is, Lord, how long? I mean, it's just, so how long do I have to do that? I mean, I mean, I was signing up to serve you a moment ago, but how long do we, how long is that going to last? I mean, how long do we keep taking the, the gospel? How long do we keep reaching out? And God says, until cities are laid waste without inhabitant, and houses are without a man, and the land is utterly desolate, and the Lord has removed men far away, and for the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. He says, we're going to keep going until it's done. And that would be true for Israel specifically. And some of what's being spoken of here is the coming judgment that would take them away to Babylon. And God's going to say, you're just going to keep going until there's nothing left. And yet there's something about that that is just into our world that's the same way, that we're recognizing that we maybe are living in this last generation. Maybe. Maybe we really are in the last days. I think so. It could be wrong. God could be more gracious than that. But I, I, I really put to you, we may really be. How long do we keep doing this? Until the last moment. Until nobody's left. Until, nobody, we keep, until nobody's responding. I mean, there's just something helpful about that. I don't know if I'm making as much sense as I want to, but I know for me, this is just kind of like, okay, God, thank you. Because, you know, if I had only stopped before this, like, God, here am I, send me, let's go take them, God, let's go take the gospel to the world. And, you know, kind of, there'd be like this rah-rah moment. And then God's like, well, you just want to make sure you understand, this is not necessarily going to be easy. And they're not really all going to respond. They reject me, they're going to reject you. And I don't want you to have any kind of misunderstanding about this. I want you to understand the, the, the message you have in the world that you have. And I think in many ways that's helpful for me. It's just helpful to think, okay, that is true. That is true. Nevertheless, he kind of ends this whole thing with a message of hope. He says, but, verse 13, a tenth will be in it. 
And it will return and be for consuming a terebinth tree as an oak, whose stump remains when it's cut down, and the holy seed shall be its stump. Yet there's going to be a tenth, or we might say it differently, there's going to be a remnant, though many are going to reject, and many are going to miss that. There are going to be some. There's going to be this holy remnant, this holy seed, this, this part of it. And I want to say that's both encouraging and helpful, but maybe even to say it right now, that some of this right at this moment is recognizing that's what we have to offer. And I don't know about you, but I just want to speak as as clearly as I can. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're here joining us online, and you're trying to wrestle through the 2020 election, and you're trying to wrestle through God and who He is in the midst of this whole thing. And and, and right now, I just want to tell you this. God God is God. He's on His throne, and, and He has a message of hope, and He has a message of help, and He's inviting you into that space that He's inviting you into that place of being rescued, of being one that God would save. I mean, that's the, the hope that we have is that our God is a saving God. I think about it when God talks about it in Peter, in a well-known passage for many of us, where God just talks about why we're still waiting for Him to come back. And in 2 Peter verse three, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, "...the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some clout slackness, but is long-suffering toward us." not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, I, you know, it's not that God's running late. It's not that He's holding back. He says, but He's holding out for those. He's, he's seeking to rescue to the very last that He can, as many as He can. That's kind of what God tells Isaiah here. It's like, hey, you're going to go, and you're not going to see a worldwide revival. You're not going to see everybody turn. But Isaiah, you have a message, and you have a message for this, and you have a message into this. And that's what he wants to be a part of. Again, that's what we want to be a part of. Again, if that's you this evening, if that's, if that's you where this is, we're inviting you into that space of just longing that it would be there. But again, as we process this, I, I just find myself wondering if, if maybe tonight in the midst of this, God is inviting you to be here. I mean, I, I look through the list, I look at what's happening to Isaiah and I just want to believe, again, that it certainly would be reflective of how we could, maybe even should, be responding right now, just recognizing, okay, it's a weird year. <laughs> it's confusing. It's been a weird election. Morally, our nation's in confusion and chaos. But God is on His throne, and He's a holy God. And that undoes us. I mean, that just undoes us. But we can find forgiveness in that. But out of that forgiveness, we have hope. We have the message that if He can rescue us, He can rescue others. And, and, and He's calling us to do that in the midst of this world. So here's what I'd like to do. You know, I think about all of this, and again, maybe it's right where you are and, and right in this space. But I think I'd like to give us just a moment to pray for it. And I think I want to make it just kind of a quiet moment. It's going to be a little bit longer than maybe we do on, on a Sunday morning. I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come up here in just a moment and just kind of play some music, just have some, some instrument happening behind it. And in the midst of it, I just want to invite you to just a moment to pray for our nation, to pray for our world, but maybe even to pray for where you are in it. Again, it could be that you are already in the right spot 
and you just want to say, God, I just want to say it again where you are, but maybe you'll look here and think, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not where I should be in this. I, I'm not where I should be in the midst of responding into our world, and, and, and maybe in the midst of this, it would just invite you into a place of just taking a moment, just quietly, you and God. You know, this isn't a you know, time where we're going to pray together. I'm just going to invite you to pray. I invite you just to talk to God for a couple moments and, and just reflect on who He is and, and, and just what He's doing and hopefully maybe even in a fresh of this that you might just be able to tell God just quietly, God, here I am. Here I am. I mean, 2020, here I am. If I could be, if you would use my life as light, that would be great. So again, I'm just going to give you a, a quiet moment. And then I'll come back in and pray for it. I think I'll begin us. I'll kind of start us in a prayer and then uh, just give you a quiet moment. And then I'll come back in and close us and we'll close in worship. But again, just a moment right now that as we think about everything that's happening, that God would just meet us. Father, we come in the midst of a world that is so confused. I read through Isaiah 5 and it feels like I'm reading very valid descriptions of the world very valid descriptions of times, even your people. And it's heartbreaking. God, we find ourselves in the midst of, a, of the election and waiting for counts and, and solidness, but even in that, there's just so much confusion. And God, right now, I just, I know that you would invite us into a place as you invited Isaiah, just to see that you're on your throne tonight and you're holy. And if we could see that, it would work the depth of work in us that both brings forgiveness but also calling. So Lord, as we just take a couple moments, uh, you see us. You see us right here in this room. You see us in the overflow. You see us, those who are joining us online. I'm asking that you would do something beyond what I'm able to do. I'm asking that you would take this moment of just us presenting ourselves to you and you'd help this to work into reality in our lives. God, would you do that right now as we just take a couple moments, just quietly, each one of us praying to you. Would you bring us to where we need to be in this moment of time?
Father, God, right now, you are seated on your throne. You're an almighty, you're a good God, and your reign is perfect, unchanged, and eternal. You reign in the affairs of men, true even in elections, true in the midst of nations. God, you're sovereign. I just want to recognize that, and you're good, and you're holy. God, you are gloriously holy, and we're not. Lord, we are a people of unclean lips, and we live and a people of unclean lips. Lord, our hearts are, are, are defiled. Our, our words only reveal the brokenness that's so there. God, if that's all that there was, if that's all that could be seen, then we would find ourselves just driven away with no hope. But Jesus, you are that coal plucked from the fire that touches us and cleanses us. And we need that. I pray for cleansing upon your people tonight. I pray that you would cause us to to recognize our brokenness and say, God, forgive me. Forgive us. And Lord, as we find hope and we find help and we find rescue in your forgiveness and we find that there really is hope for us, Lord, then may we become a message of hope. Here are we, here am I, send us. We, have, we, we know what's before us. We know where it's going. But you're rescuing. You're saving. Lord, use us. And as I pray for that, I pray one more time for any that that's where they are right now. Confused, broken, needing forgiveness, finding themselves living in a world that is more confusing. And I pray that you would be the message of hope to them and that you would draw them to you even tonight that you'd speak and you'd bring hope in who you are and thank you that you're doing that to the end. That you're gonna build your church and nothing will stop that or do that. Lord, we ask for that here. We ask it through us and once more, Lord, here we are. I pray that as much time as we have left that we would be a light in this generation. Lord, just pray for that and then with that, just ask. Lord, we, we still live in the midst of turmoil. We still live in a time when, at least heading into the service, the election even itself wasn't locked down. Lord, your will be done. Boy, I'm, I'm so good with just trusting you. Would you bring us into what's needed for us and maybe the place that we can shine the brightest? You know. I pray for that and pray for your work and the gospel to go forward and ask you for help. We do so together and just trust you for who you are. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen.